0: We are so fortunate, so blessed, if I can use that word, to have such an amazing worship team that leads us in song, in worshiping the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. I pray this morning that you would be strengthened, that your faith would be strengthened um, through the singing and through the proclamation of the word. We are, uh, we're doing something different. We're doing a a two-week mini-series that we have titled Truth You Can Touch. Today we're going to focus primarily on baptism. Next Sunday we'll focus primarily on the Lord's Supper. Um, today I'll give you kind of a high-level overview of these two Christian ordinances and, um, and why they exist. We've been studying, uh, as pastors, we've been studying um, the Bible, God's Word, and what it has to say about baptism and the Lord's Supper for about the last four months. Um, at least once a month when we meet we've been uh, talking through this, um, uh, writing, reading, and making sure that we have it right. Um, it, because there's, um, we really want to be aligned. Uh, we want to be 100% aligned on the purpose of these two Christian rites or ordinances, who they are for, um, how they are to be administered, and how often uh, we observe them. And I think if I had... Uh, a prayer for today and for next week, it'd be, it'd be threefold today. The, the first prayer would be for those who um, have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, those that have, been, have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you would, you would just leave here worshiping uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My second prayer would be for those who have been given new life in Christ, who have believed upon Jesus Christ but have not been baptized as a believer that you would be compelled to take that step of obedience and to uh, go into the waters and uh, give testimony to God changing your life. And third, but not last, is that the Spirit of God would convict those who have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus, that you'd be convicted even today of your sin, the sin that stands against you, and that you would repent from that sin and that you'd put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those are my, that's my prayer for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, that you are with us, that you are um, always with us, that you indwell your people with the Spirit of Christ. And I thank you that that is a common truth. It's a common denominator amongst those you have saved, that we have been baptized by your Spirit, that we have been united in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that our sins have been buried, that the old man, old woman has been buried, and we've been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. And God, I pray, I do pray that if there's anybody here today that is not yet to taste that new life, that you would bring them from death to life even today. I pray that that their sins outside of faith in the cross of Christ will never be forgiven them and they will stand against them on the day of judgment. And so, God, please, uh, open eyes, open hearts. May we uh, know you and these two Christian ordinances. God, may they bring us a greater greater desire to walk in newness of life and to worship and praise and honor our good, gracious, and glorious King. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. I've been married for 42 years, as many of you know, and I remember uh, my wedding. It was at the Methodist Church in Greeley, and um, a guy married us. And I'm not even sure in hindsight he was a Christian. He was a pastor there, and, um, and we, had a, we had a throng of witnesses. We had people there that were shaking in their boots. I was 22. My wife was 20, and uh, many of them were there to celebrate with us, and I think a few of them were there to see if, I would, if we would actually go through it with it, if Nancy really was sane or not, and she proved to be insane by saying, I do at that moment, but it's lasted for 42 years by God's grace and mercy. And when we when we get married, we then do what every year on that wedding date we have an anniversary. We celebrate that day. We're reminded of the covenant promise that we made to one another, of the ring that we slipped onto each other's finger. Of the um, I had Nancy this morning uh, text me a copy of our wedding certificate, and it was signed by the um, by the best man and the maid or matron of honor. I'm not sure which is which, is which as I guess attesting to the to the um, to the significance and the reality that we uh, covenanted uh, together. Um, we wear a ring. Um, I've I not been wearing a ring probably the last six months because my gold ring uh, bothers me. It, it bothers me, so I had a rubber ring, and it broke like five, six months ago, and I just was too cheap to buy four new rings for five bucks on Amazon. So, uh, so my wife did that for me last week, which was really just God's providence. I have a ring as a reminder of my covenant uh, commitment to Nancy. It, I don't need this ring um, in the same way that I don't, um, I, guess I don't need to be baptized with water to, to be um, a Christian, um, but it is a, a sign and a seal of sorts of my uh, commitment to Nancy. You know, when we got married in front of these witnesses, um, I became keenly aware that I married into a family. Um, I didn't just covenant with Nancy, but in some ways I covenanted with her family, Crazy Al and all. And uh, we we get in laws um, in that marriage as well, and it's the same thing in our baptism that we're not just covenanting with God; is that we're covenanting with um, the body of Christ as well. So I want to talk a, um we're going to do a couple things today. We're going to talk about the ordinances in general. What are they? How did they come about? Why do we observe them? And then we're going to take a look at spirit baptism, because in order to understand water baptism, you need to understand spirit baptism. So we're going to spend um, quite a bit of time in there. And then next Sunday, as I mentioned, we're going to go uh, to the Lord's Supper. So uh, I want to give a high-level instruction on the two Christian ordinances And historically, um, it's been the conviction of Protestant churches for hundreds of years to celebrate these two ordinances, the Lord's Supper and Baptism. And the reason for this number is that the Bible teaches that Jesus ordained only two rites. And the tangible signs that come with them. Um, Jesus ordained them. That's why we call them ordinances. Um, There's a tradition calling them sacraments, which means mystery. And we even talked about that as pastors. And we're going to, not that sacraments is wrong, but it just, it brings up a, uh, for some of us that are raised in certain traditions, it brings up a kind of a, 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 um, um, I don't know, it, it, it elicits feelings and thoughts that maybe aren't um, edifying. So uh, we're going to call them ordinances, uh, which is a tradition of the church for many, many years because Christ ordained these two rites. So Jesus commanded his disciples in Matthew twenty eight nineteen. He said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thus in saying that Christ ordained baptism with the accompanying sign of water. That there's that water we're to we're baptize with water, and it's a rite or an ordinance that the church must reserve at Jesus last supper um, before he was crucified, he instituted the last Supper, what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion today. It says this: Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, "Take, eat, this is my body." And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying. Drink of it all of you, this is, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's Matthew 26. Thus Christ ordained the Lord's Supper with the accompanying, accompanying signs of bread and wine as a rite or an ordinance ordinance that the church must observe. These are two ordinances that the church is commanded to observe until Jesus returns. Therefore we call baptism the Lord's Supper or ordinances or Sacraments to signify that these rites were ordained. I can say that over and over again and what these ordinances are in their simplest terms is that they are the physical embodiment of God's promises. What is baptism and what is the Lord's Supper? It's the physical water, bread, wine embodiment of God's promises. He can give us promises with words and he does in in the word. But these are the physical embodiment of his promises. I want you to remember that. That's going to be a thread that kind of goes through both of these sermons. It's why did he give us um, physical elements instead of just a testimony, a verbal testimony. It's because they are physical embodiments of his promises. They're reminders of God's promises in a form we can see, touch, and even taste. They're not something we do for God. They're physical reminders of what he has done for us and he will continue to do. They're a sign of gospel promises in the same way that a wedding ring confirms a covenant of marriage. So baptism and the Lord's Supper are reminders of his I did's and of his I will's. They're a reminder of his past promises kept and his future promises to keep. So why water? Why bread? Why wine? Why not just thoughts and words? I'm gonna, um, today there's going to be a lot of scripture, so if you, you're going to have a hard time keeping up with it, they should, most of them should be up there. If you're a note taker, I would just say write down the, the address of the scripture. Um, here are a few uh, quotes from reformers that, that help explain why water, bread, and wine, and not just thoughts and words. The Westminster Confession says, says that the grace of faith is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word. That we, we receive the grace of faith. We strengthen our faith by sitting under the teaching of God's Word. But also, it's increased. The grace of faith is increased and strengthened by the ordinances. We gather to sing. We hear the preaching of the Word to strengthen the faith. But the ordinances assist in the strengthening. Augustine said this about the ordinances. He says they're a kind of visible Word of God. Calvin said... Let it be regarded as a settled principle that the ordinances have the same office as the Word of God, the same office, the the same the same um, primacy of the Word of God to, to offer and to set forth Christ to us, and in Him, the treasure of heavenly grace. The Dutch theologian Hermann Babnick said this: the co- the content of the Word and the ordinance is completely identical. They only differ in the external form, in the manner in which they offer the same Christ to us. In the Lord's Supper, we indeed do not receive any other or any more benefits than we do in the Word, but also no fewer. And I want to finish with Sinclair Ferguson. He's not a reformer. He's a modern-day dude that just is really smart. And he said this. He says, we do not get a different or better Christ in the sacraments than we do in the Word, but we may get the same Christ better. With a firmer grasp of his grace through seeing, touching, feeling, and tasting, as well as hearing. We have five senses. And oftentimes in a church service, we just exercise a couple of those. uh, I speak, you listen. We sing together and um, to the Lord together and uh, to listen to one another. But the Lord, I believe, gave us these other senses in order to strengthen our faith. So, let's talk about baptism. Uh, first, spirit baptism. Baptism with the Spirit is the initial Christian experience, and water baptism illustrates the reality of our spirit baptism in the New Covenant. So, baptism with the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit, with the Spirit, is our initial Christian experience. And this spiritual baptism is, uh, illustrates, uh, excuse me, our water baptism illustrates the reality of our spiritual baptism. The Old Testament prophets, it's all over the place. It's in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Joel, Jeremiah, other places. The prophets foretold the promise of the pouring forth of the Spirit, the coming baptism of the Spirit. And John the Baptizer, the last prophet, introduced Jesus' twofold ministry in John chapter 1 with these words. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's 129. And then he said, that he said, I came baptizing with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's in verse thirty-three. Jesus' earthly ministry—I don't know if you've ever thought through it this way. His ministry was twofold; it involved both the removal and a bestowal. The removal of guilt, power, and the penalty of your sin, and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two ministries of Jesus in his earthly uh, in his earthly ministry: the forgiveness of sin and the bestowal. of of the Holy Spirit. He removes our sin so that the Spirit of God can dwell within us. The indwelling Spirit of God is a sign and seal of God's covenant promise to us. So the question is, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? Let me just say right up front, there is no no, uh, second baptism of the Spirit. God's Word does not speak to that. He talks to a, a constant filling of the Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit is to submit ourselves to the Spirit. But once you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been baptized with the Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells you. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, 13-14. In Him, Jesus, you, believer, also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. John Stott says this. He says, The gift of the Holy Spirit is the universal Christian experience because it is the initial Christian experience. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the universal Christian experience because it's the Christian's initial experience. The Bible refers to this initial Christian experience as being baptized in the Spirit. Another way that the Bible refers to this is being born again. Born again and baptism of the Spirit are synonymous. And baptism of the Spirit or being born again involves a death and a rebirth. We may say that baptism with the Spirit is a life and death or a death and life experience. I want to take a look at Romans 6. Um, along with uh, We won't look at Colossians 2 but it's, a, it's another place that you might want to look in your own time. And see how Paul explains our spiritual, spiritual baptism. This is Romans 6, 3 through 10. And I want you to take notice how many times in, these, in this passage that the Apostle Paul says, into or with, into Christ, into his death, with Christ. And I'm just going to read um, 3 through 10. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul is not referring to any type of of water baptism here. He's not referring to um, a physical baptism. The context has nothing to do with water or adult or infant baptism. He's referring to our union with Christ in Jesus' death and burial and resurrection where his death becomes our death and his life becomes our life for the praise, of, the praise be to God. That his life um, is ours, that we get to walk in this newness of life. Let me give you an illustration that I borrowed from somewhere. I'm not sure um, who it was. Or I'd give them credit. It's somebody I didn't know, but I... Uh, I changed the illustration to uh, protect the innocent. Imagine yourself at DIA, you're about to board a plane. The plane is on its way to sunny Mexico and you want to be in Mexico with your family. What relationship do you need to have with the plane at this point to get to Mexico with your family? Would it help to be under the plane, to submit yourself to the plane's imminent authority in the whole flying to Mexico thing? Or would it help to be inspired by the plane, to watch it fly off and whisper, one day I hope to do that too? What about following the plane? You know the plane is going to Mexico, and so it stands to reason that if you take note of the direction that it goes and pursue it, then you too will end up there. Of course, the key relationship you need with the plane is not to be under it, behind it, or inspired by it. You need to be in it. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane will also happen to you. The question, did you get to Mexico, will be a part of the larger question. Did the plane get to Mexico? If the answer to the second question is yes, and if you were in the plane, then what happened to the plane will also happen to you. And I think at the heart, the biblical idea of being baptized into Christ is something like that. That everything that's happened to Jesus is happened to you. All the promises for Jesus are promises for you. And according to the New Testament, to be in or with Christ is to say that by union with him, whether, whatever is true of him is now true of us. He died, we died. He's raised, we have been raised. He's vindicated, we will be vindicated. He is loved, you are loved. And so on, because we are in him And this is a simple but powerful illustration of being baptized with the Spirit and being united to Jesus Christ in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. So what does this have to do with water baptism? That's what we're here to talk about today. Everything. Everything. I want to tell you right up front that Windsor Community Church practices believer baptism or credo baptism. And the Latin word credo means I believe. That's what, There's, there's paedo-baptism, which is infant baptism, and there's credo-baptism, which is believer baptism. And there are, let me just say this up front, there are, there are um, men and women, there are churches and pastors that I highly respect and that I learn from and that we're going to spend eternity with in heaven that, um, that celebrate, that observe paedo-baptism. I admire these guys they're wrong. I don't see that in scripture. So we joyfully baptize those who are able to make a credible profession of faith at Winter Community Church. So, So here's what water baptism is. It's a symbolic act of obedience that illustrates what has already happened to the believer. It illustrates the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our union with him in those saving events. Our covenant relationship begins when we are born by the baptism of the Spirit, but our entry into this union is marked by water baptism in the same way that a wedding formally marks and celebrates the covenant love of a bride and groom. That a wedding doesn't make somebody any more in love or committed to one another necessarily. In the most basic terms, the ordinance of water baptism is prescribed by our Lord Jesus Christ as a visible symbol of invisible grace that unites the believer with Christ. It is a discernible and tangible representation of both the invisible realities of the gospel and the Spirit's application of the gospel to our lives. The Westminster Confession and the 1689 Baptist Confession say something pretty similar, um, and let me quote it. It says this, that baptism is a sign of our fellowship with Jesus in his death and resurrection, of our being grafted or united into him, of remission of sins, and of submitting ourselves to God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. Water baptism, as we will see, is a necessity for Christian obedience. But the Bible does not teach that water baptism is salvific. That water baptism doesn't save. There are churches, and some of you have come out of those, I've come out of there, that there, there's something about the water that saves you. And we don't see that in Scripture. The water, the, the ordinance of water baptism signifies and confirms the spiritual realities that they represent. They do not produce those realities. We, we say around here that water baptism is what? It's an outward sign of an inward reality. That's what water baptism is. It's, it's, a, it's an outward sign. It's an outward proclamation or illustration of what's already happened inside of me. I'm going to take us to Acts chapter 2. And you know the story that after Jesus was crucified, three days he rose again from the dead. And then he spent 40 days um, eating, drinking, fellowshipping, preaching the kingdom of God to his disciples. And his last words to them before he ascended to the right hand of majesty is that he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And that's in fact what he did. After he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit filled the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter, full of the Spirit, preached the gospel-centered, Spirit-empowered sermon where 3,000 people believed in the church, the Church of Christ, was established. And I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to read, starting in Acts 2, verse 22. And I'm going to kind of skip along all the way through verse 36. And this is Peter preaching the gospel. Paul says in Romans that, that, um, what do you say? That salvation comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There has to be gospel proclamation in order to be saved. There has to be uh, an understanding of the gospel. So listen to to Peter's uh, sermon here, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the de- definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. be held by it. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his womb is still with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, one of David's descendants on David's throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He poured out the Holy Spirit and you're hearing and seeing evidence of it. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So so Peter told them they were sinners, that it was their sin to put Jesus on the cross, that Jesus rose again from the dead, and that he was both Lord and Messiah, Lord and Christ, Lord and Savior. And I want you to listen to what the Spirit of God was doing in 3,000 of these hearers, verse 37. Now when they heard this, when they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction of sin, and there is no salvation, there is no good news without understanding the bad news, that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see, when you understand your sin and you understand God's wrath against sinful humanity, the only question you should ask is what should I do? In verse 38 through 40, Peter answered their question. He said, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." What is repentance? Repentance, we get this wrong because we, we oftentimes in the church we try to clean people up before we bring them in. And repentance is certainly turning from your own life, your own words, your own, your own thoughts. Your, uh, your own way of trying to earn salvation. But as important, maybe more importantly, it's turning to Jesus Christ. It's believing upon Jesus. It's believing upon his sacrifice on the cross. It's trusting in him. And when you repent and are forgiven for your sins, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or you become baptized in the Holy Spirit. Repenting, turning to Jesus and turning from your old direction, it's a 180. Brings about spiritual baptism. In the first step of obedience to saving faith, first step of obedience after being baptized with the Spirit, it's water obedience. It's water water baptism, excuse me. In verse 38 that we just read. We see this twofold ministry of Jesus, the removal of sin, the forgiveness of sin, and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit can't reside in us if the sin hasn't been removed. And then verse thirty nine, for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. What's his, what's his promise? Who's for every that's for everyone? the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of twofold ministry, the forgiveness of sin and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for people who have their act together. It's for all who are far off. He came not to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. It's not the healthy that knew they needed a doctor, it's the unhealthy. verse 40 and 41 says and with many other words he bore witness and he continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls and to receive it is to believe it to receive it is to is, 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 is everything Peter preached to receive it is to believe that you are uh, that all of sin falls short of the glory of God That you can't be good enough. And to receive it is to believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you from the guilt, shame, and penalty of your sin. They believed they were sinners and they turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. John Stott said this, whoever receives the divine call inherits the divine promise. So saving faith is a death and life experience. These 3,000 souls were born again and they were baptized with the Spirit. Then they took the first step of obedience as followers of Jesus Christ and they were baptized with water. Because water baptism, physical baptism, demonstrates publicly demonstrates the reality of spiritual baptism. It testifies to the miracle of new birth. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And I, I think that has dual meaning. That there were 3,000 souls that were transferred from darkness to light and then, and then the other part is it, they became part of the household of God. And it came with a new expanded family. And that's why we say that baptism should be in the context of the local church. Most brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a church celebration. Salvation happens at the moment of spiritual baptism. But it's marked at the water in physical baptism. Kind of a different sermon. I hope that little bit's been helpful. I want to just I want to give you some practical um, what considerations that, and try to anticipate some of your questions. And let me there's about five or six of these. The first one is who should be baptized. I know it sounds obvious, but who should be baptized? Anyone with a credible profession of faith. While we understand the tradition of baptizing infants, we believe that the Bible teaches believers baptism. Or that a person should believe in Jesus first and then become, and then be baptized. Baptism is a public profession and illustration of what Jesus has already done in the life of a believer. That baptism is an outward, is an inward, is a, um, outward sign of an inward reality. The question Second question is, do I have to be baptized? Water baptism isn't something that we can just take or leave. It's a command given by Jesus Christ to participate in for all believers. All believers to participate in. And we do it not to earn anything, but because we already possess everything. And we do it out of love for him and to testify of this inner baptism, this inner reality. Baptism is also a sign of fellowship and union with the local church. So yes, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you should be baptized. Does water baptism save? I already alluded to that, but I'm going to mention it again. No. Water baptism is not observed in the church to cause something spiritual to happen to you. Water baptism exists in the church because of what has already happened to you. The water is an illustration of a grave that we rise up from. the walk in newness of life by the power of the Spirit. Here's one that might cause a little bit of angst and, and any of these questions like you, please come talk to the elders, talk to the pastors, talk to your community group leader. Should I be baptized again if I wasn't a Christian when I was baptized the first time? Yes we would encourage you towards that. It's believer baptism. If you were were baptized before you were a believer, whether that was an infant, a child, even a young adult, and you look back on that and you didn't understand the gospel, you didn't have a credible profession of faith, you should be baptized as a believer. What about Children. Generally speaking, know thus saith the Lord. Generally speaking, we would encourage you to hold off on baptizing your children until they have a firm understanding, until they're cut to the heart with their sin. And they understand Jesus' finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And don't miss his third one. They understand the call by the power of the Spirit to walk in newness of life. So we would encourage you so don't hurry anybody along in baptism, regardless, unless they understand those three components. Have you been cut to the heart by your sin? Do you understand that you deserve the full force of the wrath of God? Number two, do you understand that it's faith and trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins that takes? God's wrath away doesn't take it away, that's said wrong that puts God's wrath fully on Jesus that God still pours out his wrath but it just won't be on the believer and third, do you understand the call to walk in newness of life and I just um, this, is, this gets a bit um, personal for me because I came to Christ at an earlier age and even though I wasn't baptized then I don't know That I was in Christ. And I look around and I see adults all over the big C church. That were baptized at an earlier age. That didn't understand one of those three components. They didn't understand they were a sinner. Deserving God's wrath. They didn't understand that that the cross took away their sin. forgave Forgave them of the sin. And number three. They didn't understand the call to walk in newness of life. So as pastors, we're not God. And we can't see into the heart. So we, we want to uh, just trust the process. We've, we've prepared a document, like a, a baptism class document. Um, it's almost eight pages long, long 13 font. And uh, we want to, in parents in particular, this is for you. You're the authority in your child's life. And we, um, in order for you to baptize your children here, we want you to walk them through this. And there's other good resources out there to make sure that they have been cut to the heart by their sin. And that they understand the efficaciousness of the cross of Christ. And they understand the call to walk in newness of life. That Don't, don't rush it because salvation doesn't get your child anywhere. Excuse me, whoo, wow, huh? Can you go ahead? What point was that on there? Just cut that out. Somebody's going to take that tweet, and nobody's going to come to this church anymore. That there's nothing efficacious in baptism, in physical baptism. We need salvation, man. And then, um, so we just we want to just notch it up a couple. Uh, we, we, want, we want to be as sure as we can that there's a credible profession of faith. And um, we want to see the tub full. We want to see this tub full. We can't control that, though. So my prayer, and I pray that it's your prayer, is that the Lord Jesus Christ would save many. And those that are walking in disobedience that have not been baptized as a believer, that they would choose... Baptism. And then the last question is who can baptize me? Only seminary trained men. No. We believe that the the prescription is um, there's really no, no prescription in God's word. So a baptized believer can baptize someone else. So parents we'd encourage you to baptize your kids. Ladies can baptize. We're good with that. There's got to be a baptized believer. And as elders, we consider it an honor and a privilege to baptize anyone who has a credible profession of faith. So what's next? If you'd like more information on our stance, please let one of the elders know, and we'd be happy to meet with you. Um, pick up one of these. We just I just printed 10 of these off, and they're over in the bookstore. And somehow we'll get this on the website. And um, yeah, please, please talk to us if you have any questions at all. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for, uh, thanks for your word. Thank you that we don't have to be on a, a buried treasure hunt trying to guess what it is that you would have for us and who it is that you say we are. And what ordinances we should observe to be reminded of who you are and your past promises kept to us and your future promises that you will keep. And God, I thank you for the beauty of being baptized with the Spirit, that we've been buried, that we've died, buried, and been rose again with Christ. And I thank you that the old Dan, the old man, the old woman are, is, is six foot deep in the grave and buried. And that we've been raised again with Christ to walk in newness of life. That we're no longer caref- t- uh, characterized by that old man or old woman. That we can consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.